Well, it's great to be here this morning. I don't understand this question, but uh, just before I got up here, uh, my wife asked me how long my message was going to be. <laughs> kind of an odd question. I don't know how long it's going to be. It's going to be really super long probably. Who knows? We're on fire. That's right. A couple very quick announcements that I just found out this morning is that this morning is Sandy Duguay's birthday. That's that's great. Yeah, at a certain age, there tends to be less celebration, but that's wonderful that we have that kind of celebration. That's awesome. And then we have another celebration because today is also, well, not today, I think it's within a day or two, uh, is Jack and Kay Vincent's 61-year anniversary wedding at 61 years. Can you believe that? They probably got married when they were 12 or something, but that's amazing. So praise God for that. Uh, I do want to say it's great to be here with uh, both churches. And uh, I moved to the island about 16, 17 years ago uh, to be uh, to pastor at uh, Parksville Baptist Church. And that's where I met Pastor Lauren. And uh, we had a lot of fun together. It was only a couple years that we worked together, but we did have a lot of fun. I was trying to think of stories or something to share about me and Pastor Lauren. And uh, one, one of the things that I remembered was when I first moved to the island, I couldn't believe these deer that were walking around Parksville. They were like pets. They are walking on the sidewalks, and they just weren't afraid. And I couldn't believe how close you could get. Uh, I come from Michigan or New Brunswick, and both those places, deer won't want to have anything to do with people. They will run at hundreds of yards. So I couldn't believe how close you could get. So I put together a plan because it made sense to me at the time that I was going to catch a deer physically, actually grab a deer. So there was always these deer hanging out behind my office. And so my plan is I was going to put a, a, a curtain rod that we had a freestanding coat rack and we had these black curtains. And so I was going to put a black curtain on that uh, rack. And then we had this little pile of apples there. And I knew that the deer would be there at the apples. I would be literally just feet away. And at the last second, you know, I was just going to dive through that curtain and attack the deer. <laughs> now, this made sense to me, right? So this was what I was going to do. And I told Lauren about my plan. And Lauren thought it was a great idea. <laughs> Lauren told me he would even get a video camera. And he wanted to videotape this thing. And that whole time, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Lauren is such a good friend. You know, like I felt like kids in the fort and we were going to do something together. And this was great. Um, but later on, I started thinking about it. I think he wanted to see me get my butt kicked by a deer. That's what I think he honestly, <laughs> I never. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking to myself, where was the pastoral care at that time? I mean, I was, you know, putting my life in. I mean, I wasn't going to be dumb. I was going to wear a hockey helmet and gloves and stuff. But still, he didn't try to stop me at all. But uh, I don't know if it was God or what happened, but we didn't actually follow through, so which was a good thing probably. Okay, we're ready to dive into the Bible. Amen. First Corinthians. Turn your Bible to First Corinthians, and we'll be looking at chapter one there. But uh, you can go ahead and turn there right away. Crazy days. We hear this all the time with the pandemic and all the things that are going on in our world. It seems like it's hard to uh, keep on top of what's right, keep on top of what's wrong. It seems like these things are changing 
almost on a daily basis. And of course, this is natural, this is normal. All throughout history, we've seen right and wrong switching all the time in places. I mean, it's hard to comprehend, but slavery was an acceptable practice and a normal practice for centuries upon centuries, right up until the last century. It was an acceptable thing in our world. It used to be at one time respect for parents and authorities was a moral principle, which is just something that was normal. Sad to say those things are moving away and changing in our world. Serving in your church and serving your community without anything coming back to you used to be kind of a normal thing. And it seems like it's getting harder and harder to find people who will volunteer for anything today. I was in my office the other day and I uh, came across this magazine. I forgot to bring it with me. It was from 1971, which was the year that I was born. Um, yes, you can do the math. I'm 50 years old. Uh, so in that magazine, I was looking at some of the ads and there's some kind of crazy things in there. And uh, so I started looking up different ads from the past. And these were actual ads. One ad I found said this statement, showed a picture of, of a woman working on, in the kitchen, and it says, the harder a wife works, the cuter she looks. Can you imagine that? If you printed that today, what would happen? There was another one for toothache. Get this. True. Cocaine toothache drops. Instantaneous cure. Imagine that. Price is 15 cents. Another one I saw for a cigarette ad, it was said, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Last one that I found was, I just couldn't believe this. There's a picture of a baby. I'm talking an infant in diapers drinking a Coca-Cola. And it says this, for a better start in life, start cola earlier. And then it says, how soon is too soon? Not soon enough. Laboratory tests over the last few years have proven that babies who start drinking soda during that early formative period have a much higher chance of gaining acceptance and fitting in during those awkward preteen and teen years. So do yourself a favor. Do your child a favor. Start them on a strict regimen of sodas and other sugary carbonated beverages right now for a lifetime of guaranteed happiness. <laughs> Is that awesome or what? <laughs> uh, underneath it said, promotes active lifestyle. Yes, it does. Boosts personality. Gives body essential sugars. It's amazing though, isn't it, when you think about it, how things change over time. Right and wrong, it seems like this moving target our ethics and philosophies never seem to stay constant. Societies and cultures are always redefining what is right and what is wrong. And sadly, that also moves into the area of morality and ethics as well. And I believe today, more than ever, we need to have wisdom on a daily basis where you find yourself on this changing landscape. James tells us, he says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, any one of you lacks wisdom, he says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And he says, it will be given to them. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. This is an extremely important statement here that uh, James makes. He says to ask in faith. No doubts. Complete faith. He says for the one who doubts is like someone on a wave that's driven and tossed back and forth. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get that sensation, this feeling of being all of a sudden here, and now we're over here, and now we're over here. It says that person that's being washed back and forth must not expect anything from God. So to receive from God, to have a solid foundation, to be stable, to have wisdom requires faith. There's no way around it. It just requires faith. That's the good news this morning is that to have faith in Christ, to have faith in Christ, it means that you then also possess real wisdom. So critical today, more than ever, to be wise, to be discerning about what we believe. Billy Graham probably has impressed me the most of any human being on earth next to Jesus and Paul and some of those uh, biblical characters. Billy Graham has spoken to more people than any other man on planet Earth, both live and televised. Kind of amazing to think about that. He's had such a longevity of life and how many years that he has spent at speaking all over the world, and the man has had absolutely no stain on his life in any way, shape, or form. Pretty incredible, isn't it? People who are believers and non-believers in the world have the utmost respect for Billy Graham. And uh, I heard an interview one time from Larry King, who's obviously not a believer, and they asked Larry King about Billy Graham. They said, what, what do you think the secret of his success is? And it's interesting. Larry King said this. He said, Billy Graham never changed the message. From day one to the day he died, his focus was on the cross of Jesus Christ. That was it. That's called stability, folks. That's called consistency, and that's called wisdom. It's my prayer this morning that as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians that we also would find ourselves on some solid ground this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're just going to work our way through these verses here, starting with verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. Know this, folks, that the cross makes no sense to people who do not believe. The cross is foolishness. Christ's death on the cross for most people is of no more importance than any other person's death in a car accident or anything else. But for Christians, his death on the cross is the very power of God. The very power of God. Verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom. You see, wisdom, the wisdom that we have in this world is not the path to God. 
Logic and reason will not bring us there. You cannot uh, deconstruct God like Lego. You cannot kind of disassemble him into the parts and try to understand who he is and what he can do. The logic of man is not possible. It is not possible for us to understand the eternal God. Verse 21 continues, it says, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So because we cannot get to God logically using man's wisdom, God has used preaching. Preaching as His method. The message of the cross is to be the path to Christ. This was God's plan. This is God's plan. There is no plan B, by the way. There is no other plan. Jesus says, there is no other name under heaven, right? By which man may be saved. The name of Christ. The cross, the message of the cross, is the wisdom of God. It is the power of God. It is the grace of God. It is the love of God. It is the only answer and the only path And it is the only message that the church of Jesus Christ preaches. Amen? The cross and the cross alone. The politically incorrect cross. The word that makes so many people squirm and uncomfortable. It's interesting, isn't it, how people, there's no problem with the manger. We love Christmas. Non-believers have no problem with the manger scene. It's a beautiful thing. But you start talking about the cross, the mood changes, doesn't it? Verse 22 continues, it says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The Jews are looking for signs. The Greeks, the Gentiles, are demanding wisdom. And he says, we offer neither. We offer the cross. Christ crucified. Verse 24 says, But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice here it says, to those who are called. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the reality that God chooses us. That He calls us. That His Spirit pursues us. And it's good to know that He calls both Jew and Gentile alike. Isn't that wonderful? And He calls them to what? He calls them to Jesus Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is very, very important, folks. We are called by God into a relationship with Christ. We are not called to a religious organization. We are not called to meditation in the forest. We are not called to psychic readings or astrology. We are not called to rituals or good deeds. We are not called to nonprofit societies or political campaigns or healthy lifestyle choices. We are called to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Now these things, you know, I'm hammering this home and you guys are saying, yeah, we get this, we know this. Well, I hope and pray that you do. Because there's nothing more serious than what we're talking about here this morning. This is the wisdom of God. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. I'm always amazed at how many times people will try other paths to God. 
They seem to want to skirt around a relationship with Christ. They want to skirt almost around the cross in some way. They'll say, well, I, I just like to be with out in the woods by myself. That's how, I, that's how I do it. They have all kinds of different avenues that they want to try and attempt. But over and over, Scripture is clear. There is only one path, and it is a relationship with Jesus. Verse 25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, Paul here is speaking to the Corinthian church. Now, Corinth was a huge port city. It's bustling with activity and also bustling with pagan pagan worship as well. Paul was there for 18 months. He's now moved on to Ephesus where he's starting this other church. And then he hears these reports from this church that he had started in Corinth. Some things were kind of going off rails a little bit, going off sideways a little bit. And so he writes this letter to try to address some of those things. And the city of Corinth had embraced a lot of sexual immorality, and some of this was creeping into the church. Can you imagine that? Hard to believe, isn't it? Some of that stuff was creeping into the church. It's funny how history repeats itself. There was all kinds of problems they were having. They were having lawsuits with each other, all kinds of crazy things. But one of the things that was happening is false teachers were working their way in there. These teachers who appeared to be very wise, very intelligent. And they were beginning to change the simple and powerful message of the gospel. They were taking that away. And so here in the midst of all of this, this is where these verses are coming from. Verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. He's addressing these false teachers. He says, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. This is God's way, isn't it? His kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. He doesn't do things that we, the way that we would do it. He goes against conventional human wisdom and logic. Rather than using the smartest kids in school, the best-looking kids, the most athletic, the strongest, the kids with the best supportive parents, he has a way of using the uneducated, the losers, the unattractive, those without the wrong, the right names. God uses the B team all too often instead of the A team. Isn't that great? I love to be on the B team. I love it. I mean, look at the disciples. This is not the bunch. These are not the guys that you would logically say, hey, we want to change the world, so we'll pick these guys. You know, Peter, the guy who when something goes wrong, the first thing he does is grab a sword. I love Peter. He's awesome. Matthew, the tax collector. They did not have good reputations in those days, folks. But this is God's way. Verse 27 says, But God choose, chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Isn't that amazing? So this morning, if you feel weak, if you feel despised, if you feel like you're not one of the 
cool kids, that's okay. God loves you, amen? Why does he use the weak to show his strength? Why does he do that? Well, verse 29 says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know what I love about our church has been growing? We're seeing more and more people that are coming, and sometimes people are saying, how is this happening? You know, like I've heard you preach, Scott, so how is this happening? And it's so wonderful for me to be able to sit back and say, "I, I don't understand this. This is a God thing. we got to blame Him. Amen? He's the one that gets the credit for anything. That, that, that The boasting goes to Him. Always to Him. And He set it up that way. And I praise God for that. That He would use me. That He would use all of us. Despite ourselves. To show His glory for what He's doing. He knows His people. We are just so quick to get big heads. So quick to think of ourselves as smart or powerful, and so easy for us to take credit. Verse 30 says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So we boast in the Lord at our church. And I'm sure that you boast in the Lord at Living Hope Community Church. I've seen your pastor. <laughs> I'm getting so much glare right now. It's just un- <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> That's great. Look what Paul said about himself. I love this. Paul says this in chapter 2, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. This is Paul now. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in the weakness and in fear and in much trembling. This is Paul. Weakness, fear, trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wow, that is powerful. Paul's taking the spotlight off of himself 100% and putting it all on Christ, on His Spirit, His power. You see, God's wisdom is different than man's wisdom. And it's to be delivered differently, not in pride or in arrogance, but in humility and in a demonstration of spiritual power. You know what spiritual power looks like? When you're part of a church, a church family, you will experience spiritual power. We've been hanging out over there uh, 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 as a church, and it is just a powerful thing. Last night, Larry... uh, led us in worship he was it was amazing gave us a great challenge on faith and the whole time we're just sitting there and it was so beautiful like i don't know how to describe this like i I was almost had tears in my eyes because it just was moving to me that here we are this bunch of ragtag group of people and we just simply love each other not because we're good at fishing or hunting or anything else but all because jesus christ died on a cross for us and now all of a sudden we have this unity We have this power 
The world doesn't understand that. That makes no sense to the world. They don't experience that, and I almost feel sorry for them. I do. I feel sorry for them. They've never experienced the power of a church family that loves on each other because of Christ's love coming to us. That is worth gold, folks. Nothing is more valuable than that. And our society as a whole doesn't understand it. It's all foolishness to them. It's sad. The most important and the greatest example of God's wisdom is the cross. Verse 39 says that our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption is all God's wisdom and it is found in Christ. And that wisdom was made possible because of the cross. I want to share just quickly some big theological terms. I've shared these before with our church a while back. I don't know if you're going to remember these or not, but these are important words. They sound fancy, but they have just very simple yet powerful meanings. The first word is expiation. Ex- can you say that all together? Expiation. That was terrible. We'll say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Expiation. Okay, wow. What does that mean? Very simple. It means the removal of our sin. It means the taking away of our sin. It's the idea of paying for something that you did wrong. So in our culture today, if you commit some kind of a crime, you're expected to pay for that crime, to atone for that crime. Christ's death on the cross expiates or removes or pays for our sin. It is literally taking away from us. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, remember what he said? He said, here, behold, here's the Lamb of God, right? who takes away the sin of the world. Man's wisdom says, it's your sin. You own it. You keep it. Yours to remember. Yours to dwell on. Yours to have others remind you of. That's man's wisdom. God's wisdom says, I will take it from you. Let me take it from you. When we Sin, we incur a debt, and that debt must be paid. Most religions of the world get this. They understand this. And so they use this as something to hold over their adherents, the people who follow their beliefs. They say, you've sinned, so you must now do something to earn and to pay for those sins. And this makes sense to us as people. I mean, we get it. We gravitate to that. Yeah, I, I get it. I did something wrong, so i got to pay. So when religions come across and say that's what you need to do, it makes sense to them. But the wisdom of the cross, praise God, is completely different. The wisdom of the cross says you have sinned, you have incurred a debt, but because I love you, because Jesus loves you, He says I will take that sin. I will take it from you. Is that good news to anybody this morning? This is a message that our society, our world needs. It's a a message that's hard for people to understand. I don't understand it. Deserve has nothing to do with it. It's called this incredible word called grace. Isn't that cool? The word grace. 
So the cross expiates or takes away our sin. The next big word is propitiation. Another exciting one, propitiation. Count of three. One, two, three. Propitiation. Where expiation refers to the removal of our sin, propitiation refers to the removal of God's wrath. His wrath is taken from us. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of His divine forbearance. Listen to this. Divine forbearance. He had passed over our former sins. His divine forbearance. Because of His grace, He has removed His wrath. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, He became like us so He could empathize with us, so He could understand us and so that He could remove His wrath, remove God's wrath from us. Not only that, not only was His wrath removed, but that sacrifice also turns His wrath into favor. Into favor. Man's wisdom is this. You've sinned, I am angry, and I will exact revenge through punishment. This is how we feel, isn't it? When somebody's done something wrong to us, we, we hope that they don't just pay back something. We want revenge. Remember when I lived in Maple Ridge, our car and the street was getting broken into all the time. All the time. It was just, it was just ridiculous. And yeah, would I have liked them to pay back the little petty things that they stole? Yeah, I'd like them to pay that back, no question. But guess what? I'd also like to be there with a baseball bat one night. And I know you probably don't think great of me when I said that, but I'm just telling you, honestly, it really upset me. I wanted revenge. I wanted revenge. I was angry. God has every right to have wrath, to have revenge on us for our sins. Think of what we do in our world, how we hurt others, how much pain we cause others. He has every right to be angry with us. But praise God, praise God, He does not exact revenge on us. Amen? Isn't that wonderful news this morning? God's wrath was taken away. This is the wisdom of the cross. I'm so glad I don't have to think about that. (laughs) Worry about that. Remember when I was a kid, I was in school and I had to go to the principal's office to get the strap. And that was bad, but the worst part was thinking to myself, when I get home, right, dad, and I had a grandfather, so I was going to get dad and grandfather. That was the worst part, thinking about this this cloud over me. And today, uh, it's sad, but I meet people all the time, and Christians, who I think are still fearful. They're worried about one day meeting God. They're nervous. They know what they've done, and they think to themselves, maybe God's wrath is still going to come on me. You need to know something right here and now. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you do not have to worry about God's wrath. Amen? 
You do not have to worry. You know why? Because we believe in the Bible. And the Bible's pretty clear about this. I'm just, there's so many verses I could read. I'm going to read one. Romans 5 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Wow. This is good news this morning. This is good stuff. Amen. I should get a little extra pay or something. I mean, this is so good. Thirdly, another big word, reconciliation. It's not as hard. One, two, three, reconciliation. Whereas expiation refers to removing sin. Propitiation means removing God's wrath. Reconciliation means that we, are, we remove the alienation from God. You see, sin creates this wall between God and man. And when Christ died on the cross, that wall fell. All of a sudden now, relationship is possible. That's why at the cross, remember this incredible scene where it says that temple veil was rent. It says tore from top to bottom. You know, that veil was three inches thick, right? They said horses, teams of horses couldn't pull it apart. No problem for the Spirit of God, amen? No problem. What a symbolic, incredible picture. All of a sudden now, access to God is ours. We don't have to go through a tent. We don't have to go through another religious person. God is available to each and every one of us right now, all time, 24 hours a day. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Man's wisdom says, Avoid someone who has sinned against you. Distance yourself. When somebody has caused an offense, you keep away. Right? You keep away. You stay away from them. You avoid them at all costs. I'm sure nobody here has ever done that. But this tends to be man's wisdom. God's wisdom is to draw close to his enemy and make them friends. <laughs> He's the ultimate unifier. He brings us to him and calls us to forgive each other so that we can be close to each other as a family too. Jesus is real big on that. Real big on that. Forgiving one another. Amen? We've got to forgive one another. That's got to be our DNA as a church. As a church, we forgive each other. I personally have forgiven Lorenberg so many times I can't even tell you. Fourth word, redemption. One, two, three, redemption. Our sins have put us in captivity, the Bible says. A price needs to be paid to deliver someone from captivity. A ransom, it's called. And Christ's death on the cross paid that price. He paid that price. Man's wisdom is to not to pay a ransom for an enemy. Man's wisdom is to sue and to exact payment from an enemy, to keep that enemy captive. But praise God, the cross says, I will pay the price for my enemy. I will pay the price for everyone. Now all of these things, expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption, they were all made possible by the cross. All made possible because He died on the cross as our substitute. 
our substitute. Substitution is the heart of atonement. It's the heart of the cross. It means that all of our sins, all of our bad attitudes, our wrong motives, all of those things were placed on Jesus when He died on the cross. He took our sin upon Himself and He paid the penalty that we were supposed to pay. That's what it means that Christ died for us in Romans 5.8. And the fact that He gave Himself for us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Isaiah says He was pierced for our transgressions. For ours. For yours. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it says, The Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on Him. You know, when Jesus was in the garden heading towards the cross, knowing what was coming. It says that he was weeping. so His spirit was so broken that he actually uh, uh, cried tears of blood. So broken in his spirit. And I don't think actually it was because of the suffering physically that he knew was coming, which was brutal. The pain was going to be unbelievable. He knew that was coming. I think it was because he knew that he was going to take on the sins of the world. We can't comprehend that. We can't understand that. But we know that this is what He did. And this is why we have no option but to give Him praise. Lastly, He defeated the powers of darkness. Colossians 3.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. See, Satan's only weapon ultimately that can hurt people is unforgiven sin. And Christ took care of that at the cross. There's so much more we could talk about here about this, but I want to just close by saying there's a significant difference between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of the cross. And the cross itself illustrates that difference more than anything else. You know, from a human perspective, it would be easy to look at the cross and say, this is not wise. This is not wise. We have a mother losing her son. We have brothers losing their brother. We have friends losing their best friend. We have a wasted life, 33 years old. A horrible and brutal death. From man's perspective, this is not wise. This makes no sense whatsoever. Unless, unless there's an empty grave. Amen? You see, if there's an empty grave then everything changes. It means that the cross becomes the greatest object of wisdom in the world. And we have no option then but to embrace it. To embrace this ultimate display of love. It's my prayer this morning for each one of you that you would no longer be tossed back and forth with the latest and greatest version of truth, but that you would settle your heart and your mind on the cross. The wisdom of the cross, which takes our sin away, takes God's wrath away, which reconciles us, brings us together, which pays for our sin. Man, that is amazing, isn't it? So count, you want countercultural, that's countercultural. And praise God for it. Keep the message clear, keep it simple. Jesus Christ came into this world because he loves us, he died on the cross to pay a price that we could not pay. 
He did it because He loves us. Because He wants a relationship with us. And He wants us to be His children. Its access is for everyone. All that is required on our part is by faith, by faith, to repent, to turn from our sin, to turn our lives in humility towards Christ and ask Him to be our Savior and our Lord. And when we do, we have this new identity. No longer sinner, we are saints, His children, heirs with Christ. And guess what? This means we no longer fear death. Amen? No longer fear. Is there any reason this is called the Gospel? The good news. This is all good news this morning. Amen? All right. Now we have this incredible uh, responsibility to give Him worship for that, not only with our hands and our voices here, but when we leave this place, to share that message. That's our calling, to be His witnesses. Not as salesmen. I'm glad about that. We're called to be His witnesses, to simply share with others what Christ has done in your life. And everybody can witness. Everybody can testify. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the wisdom of the cross. That it is not a worldly wisdom. It's not based on competency or the best or the brightest. It's based on humility. It's based on love and kindness and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Would You help us as Your church family, God, to give You the worship that You deserve so that we boast in You and in You alone, God. And help us as we communicate, as we talk with people during the week, God, that we give You the glory. Not our, not our denomination or our church, God, but we give You the glory. It's Your name that we want on, our, on ours, God. Not anything else. Our identity is found in You and You alone. We thank You for Your Word, God, which is solid that doesn't change like so many other philosophies in the world. The same, consistent, because it is true, absolute truth. And we give you praise for that. In your name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen.